Your podcast starts after this quick message from Clear. The average person breathes over 23,000 times a day. That's 23,000 opportunities for allergens and germs to get in your nose and body and wreak havoc. That is, unless you regularly clean your nose and sinuses. So for healthy breathing and a strong body, use Clear Nasal Spray. Clear is a natural nasal spray featuring xylitol, an ingredient clinically proven to work against bacteria and effectively clean, not just rinse, your nose. Clear Nasal Spray quickly alleviates congestion, opens your airway, and ensures your body's natural defenses are strong. In fact, in a recent study, researchers found that xylitol nasal sprays like Clear are just as effective as leading medicated nasal sprays. For better breathing, get Clear today. That's spelled X-L-E-A-R. You can find it at all major retailers, CVS, Rite Aid, Walgreens, Sprouts, Whole Foods, and everywhere else. You're listening to Radio MD. She's a chiropractic physician, lecturer, author, entrepreneur, and talk show host. She's Dr. Suzanne Bennett. It's time now for Wellness for Life Radio. Here's Dr. Suzanne. Occupational therapy practitioners help people across their lifespan participate in the things they want and need to do through their therapeutic use of everyday activities. Now, they have a holistic perspective in which the focus is on adapting the environment to fit the person. So today on Wellness for Life, we have Susan Roberts, who spent four decades working as an occupational therapy clinician, treating people of all ages from infants to people that are in the high 80s, I believe, octogenarians, she says, (laughs) and working with people who have sustained catastrophic accidents and devastating chronic illnesses. Welcome, Susan. Welcome to Wellness for Life. Oh, thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I, I've known about occupational therapy because when I was at UCLA for a brief period of time, I thought as an undergraduate in kinesiology, I thought maybe occupational therapy was going to be something that I want to do. So I went into it and looked in on it. And it's a fascinating, fascinating field, but not a lot of people know about occupational therapists. We talk a lot about physical therapy, but not occupational therapy. And I understand for you, there's actually similarities between occupational therapy and traditional folk healers, which is a much more holistic type of therapy. So I'd love for you to chat about a bit about that a little bit. Well, I think occupational therapy, you know, been around actually since uh, 1918, I think, so right around then. So we've been, uh, we just celebrated our to our 100-year anniversary as a profession. And so we started looking at you know, at everyday activities at crafts a lot, working a lot with the the people who uh, came home shell shocked. Now, what we would call PTSD uh, from World War One, and of course, the pandemic was going on then too. So there was a lot uh, going on. I then, when I started working in Tucson, Arizona, became aware of folk healers that were working there. The people within. The, there's three nations within the city limits of Tucson, the Tuana, Autumn, Yaki, and Pima Nations. They all have healers operating there and the rich tradition of Cura and Tarismo from Mexico, and they have many practitioners who also work there. And so I was, I became aware because I was uh, in the 70s, uh, the occupational therapists began using something called sensory integration. 
and that looked at uh, how can we get in and make significant changes in the way people function by getting into the nervous system through the senses and by engaging people through their senses in activities and, and creating global changes for people at that time. So that was one of the things that made me take notice of these healers because they were doing exactly those kinds of things with their clients. They weren't, you know, and, and from there, I started being interested in that. I um, ended up going to Harvard Divinity School because I couldn't find anything. There was no integrated medicine or, or um, very little holistic medicine. They were talking about out, out west where I was in Tucson, but certainly not in the East Coast very much in the 70s um, and early 80s. Uh, so I ended up at Harvard because I had three years to explore the topic of spiritual healing, or at least people who were open to the idea of spiritual healing, which was not the case if I had gone to any of the, at that point, um, medical tradition, uh, conventional Western medicine. Your book, your book that you have, by the way, thank you so much for the, your copy of your book. It's phenomenal. And what I really, the book is called Sustainable Health. Sustainable Health, Simple Habits to Transform Your Life. In detail, you go into different forms of exercise, particularly how you have created a, a framework regarding the five elements. Can you explain a little bit about that? What is sustainable health and why did you go into the five elements? I, I know about five elements because of Chinese medicine. I, I studied Chinese medicine, traditional Chinese medicine uh, here in Santa Monica. And uh, we go into the different, uh, I, I'd say, you know, when it comes to ch Chinese medicine, it's different elements such as wood, fire, metal, you know, all of this is, and you literally have uh, chapters regarding each element. So can you explain that a bit? Sure. So when I started looking at the indigenous healing traditions of, um, you know, the Southwest, the, the ones that I first became exposed to, I realized that they were also looking at elements and they were looking primarily at earth, air, fire, and water. So four, those four main elements. And I started pursuing that track and, and trying to see, you know, like what senses made, you know, coordinated with that, what movements, perhaps what parts of the body. And of course, a lot of that was laid out within those medicine wheels and those, and they are called medicine wheels. And if you look at petroglyphs and that kind of thing, you see, um, you see them all over the Southwest. You see them all over anywhere where people are, you know, tapping into rocks because, I think because they were used for, by healers and they were used in that way. The, the compass was also, I became early on aware that the magnetic uh, orientation of the compass was also important. Uh, but, but because all of those other traditions are oral traditions, passed down very carefully by practitioners to people who are trusted and who are usually raised up from childhood to take over those, to take over those roles. And, and because I also work so much with people with autism, I'm very struck by the fact that oftentimes I find that the people that were chosen for those to take over those were people that we would identify as being on the spectrum. So there's the ability to memorize vast amounts of data, you know, of information and to be able to coordinate it in, in, and look at it in unique perspectives. 
But what I found when I, because it is an oral tradition, it's very easy. You know, you can read all sorts of anthropological accounts, but oftentimes I found things were not lining up in quite the same way uh, from tradition to tradition. And I realized early on that part of the reason for that is that it's very easy. So, for instance, the Navajo sand paintings are very much a part of their healing rituals. And they have been recorded by anthropologists, but it's very simple to switch, you know, east to west, north to south, and now all of a sudden it no longer it no longer works because it is energetic resonances, and um, and we have the physics now. We those of us in the, in the west who scoffed at this for so long now have the physics to really take a look at and say, oh, wait a minute, they were onto something. You know, we're looking at the microbiome now, and we're looking at all sorts of things that make sense. So for me, when I began studying with Dr., you know, so I I made up compasses. I've been playing around with these compasses forever, uh, it seems like, and and using them in my occupational therapy treatment and approaches to looking at at people and looking at kids and my evaluations that I developed uh, to work with people. But I was never... You know, I always was never sure exact. I mean, I know it changes geographically. I think that it changes geographically from place to place uh, because people are working with, um, you know, energetic differences uh, place to place. But when I got to Chinese medicine, when I began studying with Dr. Nan Lu at the Tao Healing Center and the um, TCM World Foundation in New York City, uh, I was introduced through the Dragonfly program that he developed uh, in in the five elements theory, and I realized when I found you know when I heard that the that the earth energies the stomach the spleen re- relate to in the ancient times they were the center of the compass, and then um, you know water and the kidneys um, were to the north, uh, fire and the heart to the south, and um, wood to the east and metal to the west. I realized that now I had something with 5,000 years of documented <laughs> documentation, something that was not going to be flipped um, in the same way that it could be in other oral traditions. And so then I really got excited and began really a new looking at this. And that is the compass that is in the back of the book. I don't know if you got to the la- very last page of the cover. The compass is in color. I definitely saw the the compass and how it you know it literally there's information of each each element metal water wood and fire and then of course in the middle being earth you gave a really great explanation of each one I'd like to know how you you've used this for occupational therapy how you have connected that to habits Okay, so I, um, because I'm an occupational therapist, I look at occupation, and and this is something that has you know been refined over over the century in the in the profession itself, and and uh, somewhere in the 80s or 90s, occupational therapy looks also at at, at domains, so it looks at the physical domain, the mental domain. Uh, or cognitive domain, the emotional domain, and then they introduced spiritual domain into the practice somewhere. It's right at, it was right after I had graduated from Harvard Divinity School, but it was um, introduced in. So that was gave me another way to look at it. So we look at occupations. So the occupations that I, I look at are, are play, which is 
you know, because I've worked so much with kids, that's the primary occupation of childhood. But it's also very important for adults because play is how we reduce stress. So, you know, and and play has become a four-letter word in our culture, you know, and and that's unfortunate, I think, because it's such a good stress reliever. And I think people have come upon that during this pandemic, which is really interesting to me, too, that people are beginning to see, you know, and do some of the things that I recommended in the book in response to being shut down and being uh, sheltering in place. So play is probably the most important occupation that I can think of, and it's the one that allows us to connect to the conscious universe, to connect to living, you know, the living, changing, constantly changing universe that we live in. Then sleep was is is also really, really important and particularly healing now. And, and Dr. Liu um, gave a, a wonderful series of uh, talks, free talks, for the first couple months of this pandemic. And he stressed over and over again how important sleep was. So that made me feel really good because I, of course, said that in the book. So sleep, again, it, you know, we don't think of it as an occupation, but it is an occupation. It's something that is an important part of our life. And in terms of the immune system, it is critical. So that's, that was certainly, so that's the second occupation. The third occupation, and actually, in a sense, because I, when I studied nutrition, I started with earth in the center uh, and eating. And eating, of course, is an occupation. Eating is an occupation that also encompasses cooking and shopping and budgeting and all sorts of other occupations get drawn into that as well. And of course, what we eat affects how we sleep as well. So I, eating in the center of that compass just made so much sense to me. And then um, metal uh, work, working is important um, as well. Uh, and it's unfortunately become another four-letter word in our in our culture. But when you do meaningful work, work that's meaningful to you, work that's meaningful to other people, work that you pace at your own energy level, it is in a really important part of our lives. And and I actually connected it to metal because I also explored some of the pagan Wiccan traditions and metal, the, the one of the tools in those traditions is the knife and that, of course, is metal. So tools that we use for work, for me, resonated with metal, and that's kind of why I put it there. And then the mo- probably the most important, but also uh, one of the most fundamental is fire, and that is our energy that connects us. And for me, that's love. I see that, of course, across the board in uh, most spiritual traditions that I'm, all of them that I'm aware of, that love is a really important thing, and it's that spark of energy that connects us to all things. So those are the occupations then play, sleep, eat, work, and love. Mm. You know, when I looked at your book, I really loved the fact that not only do you talk about it, but you give us ways to to actually integrate it into our lives. You, there's one part was about about plants, you know, and how it's so it's so important to connect to plants. Now, I'm a major nature bathing type of person. I talk about it in my books. I talked about it forest bathing, going into the ocean. Can you just tell us about your spiritual practice and how you relate to to plants and how, how important it is uh, in your practice? I was I'm I'm, I'm in Maine right now in, uh, on land that my great grandparents bought um, that I've been able fortunately the family has been able to hold on to and so I'm sitting by a lake surrounded by trees and I was very blessed to have this 
from childhood on. So I think my connection to the conscious universe, I really, as I was writing the book, began talking about that. And I think that, um, you know, I have a lot of friends who are vegan and, um, and I totally understand like the under the, the, importance of of um paying attention to what we eat and the animals that we eat but i also think that we we tend to think of plants as non-living or somehow less than and yet you know they've been here so much longer than we have and i was taught as a child that there was a fairy that lived inside of every you know plant and and we would be admonished by adults you know for wantonly destroying them you know, or even picking. I remember I brought a family member a bouquet of flowers that I had picked out of their garden, and they were like, "You just killed all these fairies." I'm like, "Ah," <laughs> but <laughs> so there, there was always that kind of sense within, kind of like my family, you know, structure. But for me, and the practice that I recommend in the book, the sitting and watching the movement because that's a quintessential part of the wood element and traditional Chinese medicine, the, the constant change of, of wood. To be watching that and to watch how the wind moves through and to understand um, when I read The Hidden Life of Trees and he talks about how um, plants communicate biochemically through through wind. And um, I actually have a cousin who worked on the NASA space program. He was an engineer and designed many of the tools that the astronauts used in space. And he told me at some point in my adulthood, young adulthood, that that trees communicate instantaneously around the world. And he would joke with his grass as he mowed it, don't worry, you know, it'll be okay, you'll grow. So once again, I come from a, you know, a family that sort of had that. But I think for me, the practice of sitting for 15 minutes a day, which is the practice I recommend in the book, of sitting 15 minutes a day that, and playfully um, watching the trees and um, and engaging with them and seeing them as entities and living entities and understanding that that you know that they're you know we're all part of this life and no one entity has greater value than another we you know all come into this life through the spirit and and none of us gets out of this life alive Mm. well one of the things that you know i i've also value of course of the of our plants is the fact that is is that humans cannot survive without them because the oxygen that we breathe the very oxygen that we breathe uh comes from our plants. So it's a very integral part of the yeah. macrocosm. We we have to have this, the plants, and we've got to honor them. And we've got to, uh, you know, of course, importantly, prevent destruction Absolutely. of what we've got right now. Absolutely. I mean, what's going on in South America and, and the jungles and, um, you know, the Amazon. And even in Vermont. Oh, yeah. Yes, exactly. Are, we're losing, we're losing the, the power yeah. for us to heal ourselves. I mean, you know, I think your book, uh, Sustainable Health, is really about using, t- tapping into our power, tapping into who we are right. so that we can heal ourselves by using nature, yeah. by being connected to nature yeah. and understanding what we've had 
a lifetime, you know, and, and, and since we've been here on earth. So that's the, yeah. to me, that's your book. Actually, I was super, super impressed by your book because there's so much detail. Whatever you and I are talking about right now is just, just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, there's so much information in your book. Uh, I know it's one of these books that I'm going to go back to over and over again and read because it's one of those books where you can learn more things each time that you read it over and over. It's really valuable. Uh, the book is called An, A Sustainable Health, and these are simple habits for uh, to transform your life. Now, where is your book available? It's available, um, it's available through W.W. Norton, which is the publisher. It's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. It's available through the independent bookstore uh, networks as well. So it's it's widely available. If you have a local bookstore that's open that you can go to, they will order it for you there. So I, I think it's it's widely available. It's available on Kindle and it's also available on audiobooks on through Audible. And the reader is fabulous. Just wonderful. I don't don't know if you got a chance to probably didn't, but, uh, you know, you can get a sample of her reading. But but for me, it's like listening to her. It's like, wow, this is really good. (laughs) So um, I, you know, um, she just really brings the book to life when she reads it. And, uh, you know, I think sometimes for me, it's easier to absorb new information, sometimes to hear it. I think there's, you know, a lot of worksheets in the book and they make those available as PDFs. So that makes it really good because I I think especially now, you know, with the pandemic that's going on, the 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 focus and the media is completely on exposure and and no wonder everybody's terrified. We can't see it. Um we don't know how to control it. And yet the whole other side of that is the resilience side, you know, and people who have resilience may not get sick, even if they have exposure. So how do we build that resilience? And that's what sustainable health is about. It's how do you achieve the health and happiness that will keep you resilient in the face of adversity or in the face of, you know, something like what we are going through with COVID-19 now. I think that, um, you know, I I have a friend who, who was exposed multiple times in multiple different ways. And she just tested, you know, her mom coughed in her face. Her mom was diagnosed. Her girlfriend had it. Her, she rescued or tried to rescue a friend who had, uh, in, in the apartment. And she was still alive when they found her. But, you know, they suited up and stuff. But she wasn't suited up when she was with her mom. And so she said multiple exposures. She just got tested. She is, not only is she negative, she doesn't even have any of the antibodies. You know, I think there's so much more to how we look at health and happiness. And that's really what I tried to bring with the book is to give us something that we have control over that we can do something about. Yeah, we all have the power to do that. We all have ability to, you know, read. I, I will, there's so much content. I highly recommend people to read it slowly so that you can really absorb it. And you might have to repeat, you know, and write things down. What's great is that there's definitely a lot of, of worksheets. There's this healing compass, clues, checklist. I mean, there's so much there. You want to do it slowly so you can really integrate yourself into learning how to be sustainable, learning how to be sustainable with yourself, with your family. Uh, really great, such great information. I would, I'd like to ask you, what's the best website to go to learn more about you? 
Well, I have a website, and it's my name, Susan L. Roberts. And uh, so it's SusanLRoberts.com, and that's a really great way to get a hold of me. And uh, you can write to me directly at Susan at SusanLRoberts.com. I'm happy to, you know, take uh, emails and and talk to people that way. Uh, I've also since... uh, for a couple of the last couple of months, I've been doing something I call Auntie Sue's or Auntie Sue's Pandemic Kitchen, which is, again, looking at these five elements and occupations. And I've done two two full rounds of five now and, and helping people to be less afraid. And that's on a YouTube channel. Uh, and it's my YouTube channel, which is, uh, seems when I put that in, I don't get it. But if you put in Aunt, Auntie Sue's Pandemic Kitchen, you will get to my web, my YouTube channel. And, and again, people might want to hear some of that. We talk about some of the stuff that's in the book and some stuff that's not yet in the book, that's not in the book that perhaps will be in, in, a, in a, another book later, I, I, I would hope. But again, it's a lot of fun, you know, so we have fun with that. Yeah. Such great information, Susan. I really appreciate you being on our show, Wellness for Life. Thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you so much. I'm honored to be here. Thank you thank so much. Thank you. Oh, so much great information. I am serious about this book, Sustainable Health. You will really, really be surprised how much valuable information that you can do day to day. We're all at home now. We're reading more. We're doing more for ourselves. And I'm telling you, this is a excellent way to start to change your habits and create simple habits to transform your life. Okay, you know, if you haven't subscribed already, do so, so I can do my very best here on Wellness for Life. And then if you need help in digging deeper with your health issues, I work with people globally through phone and Skype consultations. And so my contact info is available on my website, drsuzanne.com. Until next time, go out there and live your best life today, full of energy, enthusiasm, and ultimate health and wellness. This is Dr. Suzanne sharing natural strategies on the Wellness for Life show right here on Radio MD. Stay well.